Hello, and welcome to our At Any Rate Emerging Markets Focus podcast, a place for us to discuss recent developments and key issues of focus in the emerging market fixed income asset class. I'm Johnny Goulden from the Emerging Markets Strategy Team here at JP Morgan, and I'm joined by Saad Siddiqui, also from our Emerging Markets Strategy Team. Saad, hi, thanks for joining. Hi, good to be here. So we've spent a lot of time talking about our outlook for EM in, in the second half, and and. This has rested on some scenarios our economists see for the U.S. and, and global economy, uh, where really two main scenarios um, have been outlined. One is essentially a U.S. recession following uh, around the end of the year without too much more developed market central bank tightening, or alternatively, a, a later recession in, in 24, let's say, that follows after another uh, mini Fed and maybe other central banks in DM uh, hiking cycles. Generally, a low probability has been given to, to the soft landing scenario, although markets seem like they're more priced for that. Um, but developments over the last few weeks, you know, maybe are supporting uh, either of those two main scenarios and also maybe broadening the range of scenarios that we might need to consider here. Uh, on the one hand, we have growth indicators in China and Europe, which have prompted downward revisions to these growth forecasts. Global manufacturing looks uh, weak. U.S. job losses had so shown some signs uh, tentatively of increasing in the weekly data. Uh, but on the other hand, otherwise better U.S. activity indicators. We just had an, an, an upside revision in Q1 GDP uh, again today. Uh, and also elevated DM core inflation data have meant that we have revised higher, um, or our economists, uh, central bank policy forecasts for developed markets and markets are, are pricing those as well. And all of this against the backdrop of, of a weaker Chinese currency. Um, so, Saad, let's maybe start with this overall backdrop. How have EM markets been digesting these somewhat divergent data signals and developments over the past few weeks? So divergent data, conflicting signals, that's been the story of this year so far. And the last few weeks, as you've described them, I think represents a continuation of this, uh, of, of this environment, which I remember some a uh, couple some months ago we we termed it uh, all four seasons in one day. So um, that's the first thing I would emphasize that this really is a continuation of uh, a regime that we have been in. Uh, it's just more about um, you know the rotations of growth you know that we had from Q1 to Q2. That's uh, a new interesting development. I think the weaker European PMIs have also been. Uh, more of a surprise, and uh, in contrast, the U.S. activity indicators, as you mentioned, uh, have been stronger. Uh, now, this has led to uh, mixed performance, uh, both within EM asset classes and between them as well. Uh, if I start with FX and we take a step back, since um, end of March, early April, EMFX in spot terms has mostly been moving sideways. So back in May, we had some weakness, then we had a big rebound in the first half of June. And then last uh, week or two, we've seen uh, a modest pullback from that. That overall environment 
is one which is, you know, if you're a high carry currency in Latin America uh, or in, in CEMEA, that sideways movement is not a bad thing for investors. We, we struggle to find a new trend for EM currencies because of the conflicting data, but where carry is high, no trend is also your friend. I think what has caught investors a bit more by surprise is this continuation of the weakness in uh, CNY. Uh, so that has probably been a bit faster than what was anticipated uh, a couple of months ago. Yet the EM currencies that traditionally would have been very highly correlated uh, to the Chinese renminbi have more or less shrugged it off. Uh, and that's really in, at odds with the experience of the last few years when uh, spot uh, FX performance for commodities currencies was very highly uh, geared to uh, movements in, in CNY. Uh, I think that's a representation of how we are in a world where you know, with interest rates in many of these commodity currencies at 10, 15 year highs, uh, it really does change uh, the nature uh, of some of those currencies of MEX peso or BRL, for example. Um, and also, if you think about fundamentally, how does stronger or weaker growth transmit into those commodity currencies? It's often via the interest rate channel. And uh, because rates are already at high levels, they just have much more buffer against those types of moves. Moving away from FX, on the rate side, we've seen a continuation of a rally, despite the fact that we've had the upside um, uh, risks to uh, DM uh, central bank policy rates. You know, we've had the the, the for, uh, ECB forum in Sintra this week, which did emphasize a more hawkish message. But that, uh, you know, the, the gyrations we've seen in the growth data in the last month or two really don't seem to have much of a bearing on EM rates all that much, they continue to rally. And finally, on the credit side, um, you know, we there's something again that we discussed some weeks ago. Uh, we're seeing a continuation of a kind of a grinding uh, rally in spreads, and that's reflective of how the overall risk tone has been quite solid. Great. So shifting gears maybe a little bit, we've also had, uh, as we usually do at this time of year, lots of... Uh, um, very useful discussions with investors about the outlook and gives us a sense of where consensus is, but also, I think, more interesting where some of the key areas debate of debate are. And, and there are some of those around the global macro outlook, which um, uh, others can probably deal with. But within EM, um, there are some areas of focus, firstly, for local markets around the divergence of where EM inflation has been trending versus DM and, and where local rates are within that. Uh, and then within hard currency, I think there's an, an interesting discussion about where value is in, in EM sovereign credit, if there is any value. Um, is it in the distressed part of the market or, or is it uh, actually uh, more of a value trap uh, given the, the restructurings which might be coming over the coming years. So let's start maybe with the rates debate. Uh, obviously, the rates differential between EM local bonds and US uh, bonds is now looking quite tight. There is some fundamental justification for that, uh, and we've been sort of a proponent of that uh, recently uh, as EM inflation is falling faster and central banks 
uh, Willie sooner. But I guess we need to ask whether this is all priced in already and what might drive yields lower from here. That's right. So if you look at where investor consensus is, you know, it's uh, in local markets, there is uh, seems to be a pretty broad based uh, view that local bonds are the place to be. That's where investors are long. We've concurred with that conclusion as well. And that's why we have been recommending uh, mostly rates receivers and long positions in duration. That said, as you pointed out, if you just look at the spread between the yield on the GBIEM index and a similar duration US Treasury bond, that spread now is not too far away from uh, the all-time lows, actually. It's around 230 basis points right now. So optically, it does look quite low. Obviously, there are uh, reasons why you can't directly compare uh, the spread of the index today versus you know 15 uh, plus years ago because of composition and so on. But just from a headline level, it is looking quite low. It's been uh, rapidly contracting, not just this year, but it's a story that really began last year. And it's come from both legs. It's come from higher US yield and lower EM yields as well. So it begs the question, is it all priced in? Now, as you mentioned, Johnny, we do have uh, inflation falling faster in emerging markets than in the DMs right now. That's also been ongoing for some time. Uh, we're actually seeing now in some EMs core inflation also uh, falling. So if you take Central and Eastern Europe, for example, uh, or even you know Brazil, core inflation, which um, previously investors had cited some concern about, is also um, you know looking uh, looking uh, a bit better here. So that's the fundamental angle, and that's what's fueled this rally. And even where we've tried to hedge uh, ourselves, uh, our rates uh, portfolio by recommending some underweight duration or pair trades, they've not really done well. And that's because of uh, the momentum in the rates rally. At current levels, um, I would think that just a little bit more uh, caution is warranted here. Uh, you don't necessarily want to be uh, going maximum long in rates receivers at these levels after an already very big contraction in the spread versus U.S. Plus, as I mentioned earlier, uh, you know the D the message coming from DM central banks is at the margin becoming more hawkish, and also for emerging markets uh, where we're talking about rate cuts, the reality is it's not as if we're seeing a huge amount of growth weakness. So unemployment rates in Central and Eastern Europe, or even in Brazil, they haven't really moved up. So the urgency to really cut rates aggressively in a very front-loaded way, to me, doesn't really seem to be there. So while I think um, you know, the right trade is still to have uh, kind of a bullish duration bias because of those fundamental reasons that we discussed, at current levels, I think one has to be a bit more uh, selective uh, and, and judicious. Uh, for the rates receiver trade. Makes sense. Thanks for that. So let's pivot maybe to some specific stories that have been evolving um, 
Turkey has been a big focus in recent months through the elections and announcements by the authorities of adjustments to, to policy stances. So how have our own uh, views and assessment of the situation there been been evolving? Yes, Turkey has been the the most anticipated um, kind of political uh, event. So you know of of the year, the, the Turkish elections were clearly followed very closely, and investors have been anticipating on the back of that uh, some changes to uh, kind of policy frameworks, monetary policy frameworks. We've had um, you know new appointments at the finance ministry and central bank as well, especially the new finance minister, Mehmet Shimshek, very well known uh, to investors. So there has been an air of anticipation that maybe we're going to see uh, kind of bigger changes uh, towards the policy architecture in Turkey to something that's a bit more familiar and a bit more orthodox to, to Western uh, investors. So we have seen some steps on that. Uh, in the last couple of weeks, uh, the central bank hiked rates to 15% from 8.5%. We've seen some more currency flexibility as well. But overall, I think um, investors have probably been a bit underwhelmed by the extent of uh, the rate hikes that we've seen so far. And that's led to uh, the currency kind of weakening more than what we had in our base case scenario um uh, you know going into this um uh, period of of policy adjustment uh, going forward i think um investors are going to want to see more evidence of a decisive shift uh in the policy uh, framework in turkey uh before they can get um uh more more kind of constructive on a bigger turnaround story um so while we kind of await that we are uh, on the sidelines for now so Johnny, switching to the other uh, big topic of discussion with investors during the mid-year outlook about the value proposition in hard currency sovereigns and how you slice and dice the different segments of the hard uh, currency universe, where do we stand in that debate at the moment? It's something we talked about or in an earlier podcast about the good high yield versus uh, the the not so good high yield in local markets versus sovereigns. Uh, so uh, how are your thoughts on that evolving? Yeah, so what's driving that debate is really this issue of bifurcation or big split in the EM sovereign credit market. You have X triple C spread. So if you take out the most distressed countries, which are not very many of them, the EM Sovereign Universe is trading 40 basis points below its long-term average spread at the moment at about 275 basis points. And that is a very long way from where you typically would see spreads in that part of the market get to in, in late cycle environments and, and risk-off periods. Uh, while at the same time, this distress bucket, Triple C, and some single Bs as well. But if we just look at the triple C, they are trading at about three and a half thousand basis points on, on average. It's historically very wide. Um, even after having driven some of the rally since mid-May, you've actually seen that spread come down. It's still historically wide. Uh, generally, our preference has been to look to underweight the better rated part of the EM sovereign market. We haven't seen a lot of value there, um, mostly in double B and and um you know 
some other oil exporters which have done well. And, and really that's because we see that that's where the beta sell-off can occur um, and have generally looked for, for sort of tactical opportunities in those more distressed parts of the market since last summer. But interestingly, not all investors see it that way. And, and certainly some argue it the other way around, that, that actually the non-distressed part of the market is where, where you actually want to be. So is this a question of uh, tactics about how to position in the near term across those different segments? Or is there a more deeper, fundamental, almost theoretical uh, debate embedded within that? So I like to think of it in theoretical terms. And I think those who are, are also thinking deeply about it in that way, uh, and really it's a question about where there is most credit overcompensation in EM sovereigns, a phenomenon academics refer to as the credit spread puzzle, which is that you get compensated in your spread over a diversified basket in the long term, more than the actual default risk. And we would tend to think that that compensation is usually highest, that overcompensation, should I say, I should say, when market is very nervous and, and spreads are wide. And so we look at these cyclical sell-offs as good opportunities, but also parts of the asset class, which have typically weakened the most, i.e. the distress part, because usually people get more nervous in those parts and that overcompensation in spreads gives you the value. But there are some counter arguments that, that get made from that. One is that this cycle is different in that the lower rated countries have just borrowed too much money when financing were easy. And, and now we're in a higher interest rate world and they are very interest rate sensitive. They're going to just face an increasingly difficult restructuring environment. And so that would argue that actually there isn't yet value in that part of the asset class as a whole, maybe case by case basis, but that that spread is going to stay elevated for, for quite a long time as default rates will be higher and recovery rates lower. The second argument is really focuses on the other part of the market and says that actually the excess risk premium is, is maybe better in the better rated part of the market. And put it simply, maybe some of the investment grade companies have very, very low default risk. And the current spread levels, which are low, but not very, very low, maybe overcompensate that for that. So actually the overcompensation is maybe more in that part. I think that sounds plausible. I, I struggle when I look at the current spread levels of some of those countries to see that value. So something around 10-year maturity bonds in, in Abu Dhabi are 33 basis points, Qatar 24, 21 in Malaysia, that's a Sukuk, um, minus 12 basis points in China. Uh, Saudi has higher, uh, and, and maybe there's a case for that. But um, I would look at that bucket and work with an assumption that there's probably a minimum level of sort of unknowable risk over a 10-year period lending to an EM country, and, and, and that government fundamentals can change. There is always some tail risk in, in geopolitical, political risk that needs compensation for. So, um, you know, these spreads are low when set against that risk. And, uh, um, you know, which is why we've typically looked at the, the lower rated 
bit of the market to see that that spread compensation. Okay, and finally, on the hard currency side, we've had some recent developments uh, in distress restructuring situations. I'm thinking about Zambia and Sri Lanka. What have we learned in the past few days from those new developments? Yeah, so uh, there is a question which certainly the Zambia um, developments are raising about whether there's a bit more upside here in that distressed credit bucket. Uh, should restructurings occur sooner or on better terms? And this has been prompted by the fact in Zambia that the official creditors, so not the bondholders for now, but the official creditors, including China, uh, look like they've agreed debt relief terms with Zambia. This has been a year in discussion. These bonds have been in default for, for many years. Um, and so on the positive side, there is some progress in one of the countries in the G20's common framework restructuring process. And uh, that's sort of leading to the, the thought that we might make progress there. Or it could make a template for other places and, and get some of these countries through restructuring so that payments can start being made back to bondholders. Um, there may also be some implications of upside for the bondholder discussions. Uh, there's some innovations in the official sector restructuring uh, around the idea that there may be upside to the the payments the official sector gets if the economy improve, improves and that may be implying that the bondholders will also be given something which is um going to to, to you know behave similarly uh, and improve as the economy improves again i think on the other side the terms of the official sector um are those which if the bondholders are asked to be exactly comparable it's not that attractive you've got a, a long 20-year uh, repayment schedule a grace period at the beginning and very low coupons over that time and we know this idea of comparability of treatment between the official sector and the private sector is something that that is uh, meant to happen in this exactly how is 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 remains to be seen but that would basically push quite a lot of the upside in bond prices on those sort of idea that you get paid out more if the economy does better um given there's low coupons potentially um given where risk free rates are for now so um there's certainly been some interest around it there's there's a yet to see really um where the bondholder discussions go but the idea of some progress has, has led to those bonds uh moving up and and i think there's gonna have to follow these developments very closely uh both for zambia but also to assess the the broader implications for the asset class uh sri lanka similarly is is focusing on domestic debt restructuring to start with and, and we're looking to see what the implications again are for for the sovereign debt and that brings us to the end of this jp morgan at any rate emerging markets focus podcast thanks to you Saad, for joining today and thank you all for listening and we hope to have you back again with us for the next one this communication is provided for information purposes only. Please refer to JP Morgan Research Reports related to its content for more information, including important disclosures. 2023 JP Morgan Chase & Company All Rights Reserved. This episode was recorded on the 29th of June, 2023.